BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hey, this is Brent from the Coast Story Guys. We know some of you folks just come here for stories, and we love you too. So if you want to skip all the chat and just get right to the stories, they begin just after the 16-minute mark. And now, on with the show. Hold hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to The Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to The Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Storer. I'm Paul Bestel. And this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 123. And we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. How are you, Paul? I'm very well. How are you? Tender. <laughs> we're not going to talk about it, but tender. <laughs> I'm yes. good. I'm, I just got back from, uh, well, I just got back, but I spent last week over in Vancouver, where I have not mm. been since pre-pandemic. Mm. I got to catch up with some friends who I haven't seen in a boat as long, and yeah. uh, it was great. I, man, I forgot how good it felt just to roam around a real city at night. Mm. One night we, my friends took me to a, a mezcal bar. Oh. And then after that, I, they went home and they went to bed cause they're adults. <laughs> and then I, I got in the car and I was not drunk to be clear. Then I, I ended up at a, a, a junior hockey arena that has something like six different rinks mm. above which is a bar with a viewing area. And so I just sat there eating chicken wings, drinking a soda and watching about three different junior hockey games at once, which I had absolutely no stake in. And really I was there for the chicken wings. But after a while that occurred to me, if people keep asking which one of these kids in my, is mine and I keep saying none of them, mm, there's going to be some red flags. <laughs> yes, you're on dodgy ground there, my friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. My parole officer said no more. But I, I, 
but I, I did have in, in true fashion because, you know, this is a ghost show and, uh, we have some fantastic spooky stories lined up for you guys. I did have what I think may have been a, a paranormal encounter. I, I had one weird encounter and then one paranormal encounter. Mm. So the weird encounter was, uh, was me versus the world of nature, which is, as everyone knows, I find terrifying. <laughs> My hotel was in an industrial area. It was, uh, the accent ins Burnaby right across the, right, literally right across the street from bridge studios. So it's, it's very industrial. It's, it's just a series of nondescript buildings and trees and wonderful places to either a get murdered or b store a body. Hmm. And one night I was coming back from a drive and I passed one particular industrial park, one building in an industrial park, which was blanketed, blanketed in crows. Hundreds of them mm -hmm. on the ground, in the trees, on the building. And it was, I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen birds roost like that. And mm. so I, I pulled over to the side of the road and I thought, oh, I hope this isn't going to scare them, but I want to try and get a picture. I have rarely felt so unwelcome in a space. <laughs> and I realized that because the second I got out of the car, two of the birds took giant shits on the windshield. And it's a good thing it was pouring rain because otherwise I think that was never going to come out of the rental car. <laughs> well, they but, are very intelligent birds. They are. And they understood that I am a coward because all it took was a couple dive bombs and a couple, a couple turds. And I was back in the car. <laughs> yeah. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I got one very bad picture because you, you couldn't properly depict the scope of it. It, it was too, it, there were too many birds fucking everywhere. Yeah. And when I realized that every single tree, probably in about, I don't know, a 300 foot radius was chock-a-block with fucking birds, I thought, I am not staying here. Mm. And so I, I moved on to my hotel room, which pretty sure was haunted. By a crow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, like I said, I stayed at the Accent Inns. I've, I usually stay at these places because they're. Oh, they're not cheap, but everything's cheap right now because they're just desperate for guests. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the rooms are spacious and clean and all that shit. It's, it's a step above the kind of motel I'm usually used to. And the first two nights, I slept like shit. Just mm. like shit. I had nightmares all night, strange dreams, kept waking up, couldn't figure out why I kept waking up. And the second night, I woke up in spectacular fashion because I heard something smash in my bathroom. It mm. sounded like someone, I can't even describe it. it. It was an incredible impact in my bathroom and not, not on the other side of the wall, not like some coked up hotel guest had punched his wall in sexual frustration. This was <laughs> in my side of the bathroom. And I woke up and I remember looking at the door of the motel room and the, not only was the deadbolt on, but the, the heavy latch was still secure. So mm. no one had come in. And I thought, okay, so this means it's something I can't see. We're not dealing with this. And I just lay there in bed until I forced myself back to sleep. Very, <laughs> very brave of me. But the following night, I thought, well, we're not doing this shit again. So I closed the, the bathroom door. Mm. Now, of course, you know, we, we've talked about this on the show before. Why do ghosts respect closed doors or why do entities respect closed doors? Who fucking knows? But I will say it worked because I slept like a baby that night. However... When I walked into the bathroom the next morning, it was ice cold. 
Hmm. Ice cold. And sure, you could say, well, that's just, you know, the cold air coming through the venting. And maybe it is. But it was unusually cold. And uh, like I said, for whatever reason, I you know, was kind of mentally closed the door, mentally sealed it off, and I slept just fine. So could be nothing, but it was, uh, it was an odd couple of nights there in the Accent Inns. <laughs> How strange. Yep. Can't get away from it, Paul. Yeah, well, you know, the collective name for a, for a group of crows is a murder. So obviously that kind of <laughs> set up the uh, following <laughs> events quite well. Mm. Yeah, all things considered, I probably came out better than I could have, so I shouldn't complain. Yes, you're still here. Crowless. Well, we hope. We hope. <laughs> they could be watching me and I'd have no idea because I haven't left the house really uh, since Saturday for reasons we're not going to get into. So mm-hmm. they might be watching me from across the street and I'd have no idea. Mm. I hope to continue being ignorant. <laughs> well, keep us updated. I shall. <laughs> All right, folks. So as I said, we've got a great show lined up for you. And actually a little bit of a, a break from our usual format in that Usually we tell a number of smaller stories, but this time around we have three listener stories, but one of them is so long uh, that it, it will occupy most of the show. And I am really, really interested in this one because it, it talks about like entities following us, which I guess is in a way is relevant to what I just described. But uh, yeah, it's been sitting in the, in the uh, hopper since August. So I'm excited to, to share that with you guys. But before we do, we have to thank our patrons. This one's for the patrons. Patrons, you are the Robert Stroud to our Alcatraz, and we couldn't make this happen without you. Of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but right now, we'd especially like to thank our latest patrons. They are... Anthony Abereno. Jeannie Almoro. Jenny Sides. Julius Braxton. Matt Osborne. Nick Holman. Nikki Brachimontes. Felania Walkingstick. Robin Bowles. Shadra Langham. Stacey Parks. Stephanie Burnett, Vidya, and You're Weird. Thank you so, so much, guys, from the bottom of our terrible, terrible hearts. Legitimately, the show wouldn't happen without you, and we appreciate it deeply. If you want to join the team, head on over to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. That's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. And while we'll tell you about all the goodies you get at the end of the show, I will say, if you don't like ads, and who does, ads suck, for a dollar a month, you get an ad-free feed. Again, that's patreon.com slash ghost story guys. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome back. So as we said before the break, on this episode, we're going to be sharing a trio of listener stories, including a monster about a stalking entity that, again, we've been, we've been looking forward to bringing to you. Before we do, though, we had some email, and it, it touches on some things we've talked about in past shows, and so I really, really wanted to, uh, to talk about it. Although even before that, Paul, you remember on the episode, The Hungry Forest, yes. we had that uh, message from, I think it was from Maggie, mm. and she was saying about finding the flower around a tree in the forest. Mm. So Donna had some thoughts on that. And Donna says, as a practicing witch, I wanted to chime in on the flower and eggs around trees. That sounds to me like an offering, which wouldn't be something that needs to be feared. Based on the contents, I would guess that the offering was left as part of a working for either fertility or prosperity. I doubt the ring was made of salt because witches I know make an effort to not harm the environment with their offerings. 
Also, you would generally put salt around something that you wanted to protect or to contain. A tree isn't going anywhere and the salt will be washed or worn away too quickly to be effective outside, of course. While I think it is important to listen to our intuition, I think it needs to be interpreted through the lens of active discernment. Many people have a negative knee-jerk reaction to anything that is perceived as, quote, witchy, which comes from how our society tends to portray witches. That can result in having a bad feeling whenever they come across something that they perceive as potentially related to witchcraft. Hmm. I'd ask a person who feels that to go deeper into that feeling and ask themselves if it is truly coming from the situation they find themselves in, or might it be from social programming that tells them that witches are bad. And Donna, you're absolutely right. I think it's really important to bear that in mind. You know, we, it's something we try to do on the show is we try not to lean into the evil witch trope because it's bullshit. Absolutely. We have a lot of great witches who, who listen to the show, including Donna. Uh, but I really appreciate you sending us that and offering that clarification because I, I think it's important. And I think, you know, as much as we love to scare people and, and tell people that the natural world is a, you know, a rotating horror, which, which it is. Um, you know, it's also good to leaven that with, with some common sense and some, uh, you know, maybe a little more clear eyed assessment of the situation that perhaps I can offer. This is a little mini story from Kirk. And this is, uh, this is actually, I sent you a photograph, Paul. And so this is, this is what it's about. Kirk says, quick background on my stepmom. She's a radiographer at a local hospital and has been in this profession for many years. She's had ghostly encounters since she was a young girl from hearing screams in an empty barn to seeing full body apparitions crossing the road only to fade away when they reach the yellow line. My stepmother is probably the most intelligent person I've ever met and to my knowledge has never lied to me or anyone. So this made my belief in ghosts and spirits more believable than a friend or colleague telling me about their experiences. The latest paranormal event that took place happened in November 2018 at my stepmother's workplace, the hospital. She was heading in to start her morning shift when her colleague, I think she was a cleaner who was just finishing her night shift, beelined for her and frantically explained that she had been crossing the car park only minutes earlier when she had seen, through the window, a woman in white stood in my stepmother's office. This is unusual, as the office is locked during the night and the only staff who were on call during the night shift would have had access to that room. Or maybe wouldn't have had access to that room. Confused, my stepmother unlocked her office only to find two wet footprints on the floor in the center of the room. I asked if there were any leaks in the ceiling, she told me there weren't, and the prints quickly disappeared and have not reappeared again. She took a picture with her mobile phone and sent it to me moments later as she knew this would interest me, and it certainly did. Mm. And it interests us too, Kirk. Yeah, it's a fabulous picture, that. It really is. And I mean, we'll, uh, we'll, if, we, if I remember, if I remember, I'll include a link to the, that picture in the show notes. And it's just, you know, it's fascinating because so often we talk about the connection between spirit and water. Mm-hmm. So that something would leave wet footprints is, there's a, there's a physicality to that that I find kind of unnerving. Yeah. And I mean, it's unusual because it's an office. So how and why would someone be walking in that area that's wet? That's, that's even more perplexing, you know. Obviously, you would occasionally, there's been certain paranormal shows and paranormal investigations where they've been in, you know, abandoned swimming pools or places where there are uh, pools and saunas and things and footprints have allegedly been, been captured and seen. But this is an office. What on earth is going on there? And they are, they are clearly footprints. There's no if, buts, and maybes about it. Yeah, that's exactly it. And so it's a, it's a mystery, all right. But And thank you, Kirk, for sharing it with us. Again, I love stuff like that. And you know, I do like when people send photos, uh, just, you know, maybe, maybe not so much of orbs. I was going to say, be careful where you go there. Well, yeah, yeah, I know. I, I, once again, my parole officer said I'm, I'm not allowed to say those things anymore. 
And we have uh, one more message that I want to share. And this, uh, we'll, we'll make it brief because this pertains to something Paul and I talked about on a Patreon exclusive uh, episode uh, of our Me and Paul show, where it's just me and him talking about whatever happens to be on our minds. And we were talking about uh, the smiley face drownings or the, the missing men, things like this. So someone had a response and it was, uh, it was our patron, Jen. And uh, Jen said, I took my daughter and three of her friends on a ghost walk around the Griffintown neighborhood here in Montreal last night. One of the stories a guy told us was less paranormal than it was smiley face murder cannon. It made me think of your story and I told her about it in my entirely inappropriate excitement at learning this Montreal connection. She goes on to say, funny enough, I knew more about paranormal theory than she did in large part as a result of you and Paul. So thanks for that. And uh, so Jen, you're very welcome. That's, probably, that's more Paul than it is me, but you're welcome. <laughs> oh, stop it. <laughs> oh, you. Oh, you scoundrel. <laughs> and funny enough, Paul and I were talking about this before air, and she sent another message while we were talking about it. And she's, uh, Jen says, what, from what she said, there are a few, quote, smiley face murders in Montreal. So, yeah, we're not going to dwell on this because not a true crime podcast, but if you've listened for a while, you'll know that Missing 411 and, and these, these kinds of cases are fascinating for me. And if they're fascinating for you, if you want to hear a little bit, uh, us talk a little bit more about that, of course, that's, uh, that's at patreon.com. Flash ghost story, guys. But enough talk. It is now time for stories. The Rainbow Bridge from Laura. I was scrolling through housing listings because a girl likes to dream and I saw that my childhood home is up for sale again. I thought I would finally share something that my sister, who is about three years younger than me, and I experienced when we were around twelve and nine. I'm the oldest of the three, and she's right below me. We'll call her S, and I'll be L. She hated sleeping in our bedroom. She would get up in the middle of the night, and go sleep either in the hall near our grandparents' room, or on the floor between our grandparents' beds. My room was located on the west side of the house, and their room, and the third bedroom, which was then Grandma's den, were located on the east side. One afternoon, when we were home alone, I was babysitting. I asked her why she wouldn't sleep in our room. We'd had this discussion previously, and she'd always said that there was something there scaring her, making faces, just being obnoxious. Ghostbusters had come out about this time. Yes, we're old and she compared it to Slimer. I suggested we finally try to communicate with the stupid thing. We went to our grandparents' room, she laid on Grandma's bed, and started talking to it. At one point, she said it wanted her to follow it. I told her to go ahead. She told me it took her to what she described as a rainbow bridge. Now this was way before the internet was more than bulletin board systems for geeks, and we didn't have or know anyone that had a PC and the internet so we had no knowledge of the Rainbow Bridge. Her voice sounded really far away, not like she was right next to me laying on the bed, while I sat on the floor guiding her. I told her, whatever she did, do not cross that bridge. She came back to herself, and we went on with the rest of our day, not really talking about that day ever again. I truly believe that she did experience something that mocked her, and frightened her from the first day she was able to remember, if not from before that. Anyway, she moved out of our room, long before this, and Grandma moved her den to our living room, 
after Grandpa had enclosed the back porch to make a new living space. And I continued to live in our room, where I had also lived as a baby with our mother, unbothered by the paranormal. That's a bit of a strange story, because I always find incidents where there are two children and one seems to be experiencing something that the other isn't at all. Quite odd. How so? Well, why, why would it... I mean, it's one of those questions, isn't it, about the paranormal is what, why do some people experience things and others don't? And right. Why do some people get feelings and situations occur that only seems to affect certain people? And yet often we're told that, and even in through personal experience, that children are usually more open to this kind of thing. Was it a case that Laura was perhaps past that threshold of openness? And that's why only her sister was being plagued by whatever this was? I mean, it's it's possible it's that. It, it could be that, I mean, again, we know so little about this. It could be that maybe some people are never sensitive to these things. Because I know people mm. who, even as kids, just had nothing. Zip. Yeah. You know, no experience of the paranormal whatsoever. So it could also just be a general, you know, sort of, because we talk, we've talked in the past about this idea that some people are just better at certain things, or I shouldn't say better, but just have more ability, natural mm. ability with certain things. Yeah. You know, some people are better runners, some people are better jumpers. And so maybe it's the same way with this. Some people have that natural, you know, just the way some people are better at seeing or smelling or tasting. Some people are more naturally inclined to these things. Mm. Mm. I think it's interesting that Laura was very open to her sister's experience, though, and didn't mock her about it or tease her. She was kind of, well, this seems a bit strange. Yeah, and then tried to explore it, which is an awesome thing for kids to do. Well, awesome, you know, it's a, it's a cool idea. But then, of course, when you've got things trying to lure you across a rainbow bridge, that is less, less mm. appealing. Yeah. The rainbow bridge imagery really interested me because I, obviously I've heard that phrase usually when referring to pets. Yes. You know, crossing the rainbow bridge. So I did a little bit of looking and that term, that sort of notion, apparently that originated in the eighties. Mm. They haven't really pinned down exactly who first coined the phrase, but the rainbow bridge for pets at least originates in the eighties. And at first I thought, okay, well that seems like a cultural thing. You know, that seems like a cultural, you know, something we've made up. But then I thought, wait a minute, isn't the Bifrost yeah. in Norse mythology, that's said to be a rainbow bridge. Mm -hmm. And so it, it makes you think that, you know, these things are, are much older, even, even kind of tossed off things like, you know, Fluffy's going across the rainbow bridge, you know, they're rooted in earlier cultural experiences. Mm, yeah. Often things get repurposed for a modern audience. And, and we always pull things like that from, from our past and our history. So, uh, you know, it is interesting because when, when, I looked at the script and I saw that my first, when I saw the heading, I thought, well, this is going to be something about a pet. Yeah. That was my thought too, actually, when I, when I saw the email. How wrong I was. Instead, it was Thor coming to take <laughs> her away because he's a dick like that. Yeah. Well, it might be, if it's going to be anybody, it'd be Loki, wouldn't it? I suppose that makes more sense. I just don't like how great Chris Hemsworth's chest is. I, I hate him. <laughs> and those arms. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Yeah, watching. I, I get dizzy watching his workout videos, to be honest. I can't cope. <laughs> He's got more muscle in one arm than I have in my body, I think. Uh, yeah, no, same here. You know what helps, though? If you really, really get upset watching, you know, think, oh, th these people, they just got, you know, like beefier than me, leaner than me. Just, just imagine that at some point in their life, they've had to take a difficult shit. <laughs> Evens the playing field.
The Halloween Visit, from Eric. My family and I live in an older home, for California at least, about 65 years old. It's mostly a basic two-story square, but there is an odd wing that juts off and holds all the bedrooms. Walking in from the front door, you have the kitchen, living room, and other living spaces on one side, and going the other way, you would enter a 30-foot hall and pass my children's various bedrooms, then my office, then arrive at the master bedroom. All the bedrooms are on one side of the hall, with very large windows looking onto an enclosed patio on the opposite wall. I work a fair amount from home. Since I have a number of kids, I tend to stay up late to work. For the first incident, I was working around midnight in my office when I heard something rolling down the hall, bouncing off the sideboards. I got up and looked and saw a little ball. Given my kids, these aren't uncommon, but it was rolling. I assumed it was my cat batting it around, maybe in one of the dark rooms or around the corner. The only light in the house was from the room I was in. I called to him and he meowed from the living room, about 25 feet from the ball. He then walked into the hall, saw the ball which had stopped moving, and walked up and batted it. He then looked over his shoulder into the dark, froze, arched his back, and jumped straight up about a foot into the air and darted away. It was odd, and it didn't seem like he originally caused the ball to roll. In the morning, I joked to my kids that a ghost had arrived in time for Halloween. Or at least I thought I was joking. Then last week happened. The family watched the Muppet Haunted Mansion, not the best movie, on a Friday, and then the kids got to bed by nine, though they probably stayed up reading in their rooms for a while. I was working on my laptop in our living room, which is upstairs. The news was on TV, but pretty quiet, and my cat was sitting quietly on the floor nearby. My wife went to our room to brush her teeth and get ready for bed, right around 10 p.m. At 10.20, she stalked up the stairs into the living room, absolutely furious. She cursed me, said she had enough of this, and yelled that she couldn't believe I didn't come when she called. I had no idea what she was talking about. I realized she was trembling and sweating, and I apologized. I may not be the best husband, but I have my moments. I explained I hadn't heard anything and pointed out the cat hadn't moved, and none of our children seemed to have heard and woken up. At first, she wouldn't even say what happened, just that, I'm not going back in that room tonight and I will not show you. It was true, she did sleep on the couch. I eventually got her to tell me that she saw a ghost while she was brushing her teeth. We have a somewhat narrow bathroom, probably four feet wide and eight feet long, with a walk-in shower at the end of the room. While she was standing facing the sink, looking in the mirror, a large blackish-gray shape of a person walked past behind her. She saw it in the mirror and then turned and saw it walk into the shower and disappear. She said there was this horrible feeling of malevolence. Apparently, she then stumbled to our bed and laid down on top of the sheets. I asked why she didn't leave, and she told me she felt like she couldn't. She just got as far as she could. She lay there terrified and claimed she screamed for me three times. The first time was apparently a little quiet, as she thought of not disturbing the kids, but when I didn't come, she screamed louder and louder. None of us heard anything, and I didn't come, leading to her eventually getting up after about ten minutes and coming to yell at me in the living room. She refused to tell me any more details, saying she was too upset. Of course, I walked to the bathroom. I noticed nothing about the room, but I will say that as I entered that hallway to walk to the bedroom and bathroom, I felt this extreme cold, so much so that I started shivering uncontrollably. I don't know if I just spooked myself or what, but the thermostat five feet away said it was only 68 degrees. The next day, my wife still wouldn't say much, but did tell me that it was the same shadow she saw a year or two ago in the same room. She said it wasn't associated with a bad feeling then. She also claimed she told me about it back then, but seems to me I would remember something like that. 
and I don't. One last incident several days later, again involving the cat. It was probably around 8 or 9 p.m. as I was brushing my teeth. My cat walked in, I thought to see me, but then walked right past me, and he walked like he was stalking a bug or something. He then walked into the shower and jumped onto the corner bench, the same corner where my wife said the ghost disappeared, and stood there moving his head like he was watching a bug moving about halfway up the wall. Again, there was nothing there. It kind of reminded me of that guy at the end of the Blair Witch movie. And folks, if you don't know what he's talking about with Blair Witch, again, you know, kids, ask your parents. It's one of the two good things about that film. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, <laughs> and it, that and it ended. Oh no, the, the tent bit in the woods is quite good. That's it. Ah, uh, right, of course, of course. I See, my, my first viewing of that film forever compromised my opinion of it, and in my first viewing of it, there had been so much hype that the theater in Revelstoke was afraid people would lose their shit, so they didn't turn the lights all the way down. <laughs> so, yeah, kind of affected my view of, of Paranormal, or of, sorry, of the Blair Witch Project. But to, to Eric's story, that is, that is unnerving shit because that, to me, that implies there's, this, there's like a separation happening. You know, like the fact that she screamed but was not heard. There's sort of an element of isolation at work there. What do you think? It's peculiar because I think if, if anybody's ever had the misfortune of hearing a scream when you're not expecting one, you will definitely hear it. You know, there's no way you can't. And I don't care how focused you are on a task or reading or watching something. If your partner screams at the top of their voice, you're going to hear them. Yeah. So the question is, did his wife think she was screaming and it's that kind of thing that, you know, we often hear of people being so frightened that they, they screamed, but nothing came out. You know, like he says, if the cat didn't move and the kids didn't respond, then clearly she didn't scream. Because for everybody to not hear anything is probably as unusual as what she witnessed. So I, I responded to Eric last night and I was thinking about this. And it reminded me of my very last shadow person encounter. And I've, I've talked about it a million times on the show, so I won't... I won't um, belabor the point, but it was two in the morning. I was laying on the couch in the dark. And when the shadow stepped out of the hallway, I thought it was Nikki because it was kind of fuzzy on top and she had just cut her hair short. So I jumped a little bit and I looked up and, and yeah, it, it wasn't her. But what's interesting and why I think this relates to Eric's story is that I was awake looking at my phone. I was not sleepy, but the next thing that happened, I, my memory splits. Because the next thing that happened, I knew I was flat on my back, looking at the corner of the room, and the shadow was standing in the corner of the room, turning its head from side to side like it was trying to figure something out. I could not move, and finally, I screamed. And when I screamed, I screamed like Vikings coming over the hill. It was, it was like it was an intense scream. And then I could move, and it was gone. So I thought, well, no, one, no one's woken up, so I'm just going to bed. The next morning I said to Nick, I hope I didn't scare you or, or your mom with, uh, with my screaming. She said, I didn't hear anything. And Nikki is a light sleeper. Mm. And the, the thing that, in addition to the screaming thing, the, par the other parallel was the fact that she said she went as far as she could go. Yeah. Why wouldn't you just leave? And I don't think it's like, oh, you know, my legs are tired. I think there is some kind of element of, I, I don't know, some kind of, maybe it triggers some kind of psychological subroutine or, uh, you know, where, I don't know. I don't know. But there's. There's, there's too many parallels between those two experiences for me to say, oh, I think, I don't think she actually screamed. I think maybe she did, but I think whatever the nature of this experience is separates you 
from everyone else. But I, I don't know how that would work. Like you would be in a vacuum. Yeah, that's it. Some kind of, or, or it's hap- it is happening in your head, but like you, you are screaming, but where all this is taking place is not in a physical place. Yeah. yeah. Well, as you referred to there, I had a friend of mine who told me a story that he's only recently told me and I've known him 35 years. Oh. This was because he'd heard us talking about shadow people. And he was saying that when he was a, a young lad, he was in bed one night, just sat up in bed reading. So he knew he was awake uh, and he was at his grandmother's house and he saw a shadow person walk. The landing light was on. Right. He saw them walk past the doorway and then it came back and kind of peeped at him. Oh, wow. And he was so scared. The only reaction he had was he had an action man with a cannon that right. fired like rubber bullets out. So he did that and he fired at it. And then he just dove under the covers and hid there. And he said, I know for a fact it wasn't a dream because when I got up in the morning, the bullet was on the landing. Son of a bitch. And that had, he'd, he'd kept that in for like 30 odd years because he didn't think anybody else saw things like that. You know, it's you and I spend so much time steeped in this world. I think we forget that other people don't have that that like sort of sense of of, of how widespread these things are. That is fascinating. Mm, it is. It is. I mean, it's one of those things that over the last three years. I mean, I've often, you know, I've been very open about loving weird and frightening things all my <laughs> life. Um, That's why you agreed to do the show with me. Yeah. Well, yes, yes. You cover both of those bases, and um. <laughs> um but it is very interesting that people now seem far more comfortable. Because I'll always say, you know, if we used to go out for a drink with friends and things, I'd always end up talking about ghosts and stuff. <laughs> right. Primarily because I couldn't talk about Bigfoot. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I'd always, I'd always ask people about ghost stories and things like that. And some people just go and they wouldn't talk about it. Right. Now, you know, I have people who will send me a message and say, can I tell you about this? And I had a couple last year when I did a listener's Sure. Yep. And two of those were from friends who oh, never told really? me those stories before. Shit. But the other thing, going back to Kirk's story, is, is this this little addendum to it that she'd seen it the year before. Yeah. Yeah, that is fascinating. I mean, you know, it go, I, my only experience with these things is all kind of all I can rely on, but going back to my first experience, you know, I saw them three times. And the first time was scary because it was there, but I didn't feel in danger. Hmm. Um, but the second time, you know, when it touched me like that, it, you know, that, that felt more sinister just because it's now like it obviously it made contact with me, but that first time it was just, yeah. And so you wonder, is it the same thing or maybe they're different things somehow, hmm. you know, maybe they just somehow things frequent this place or maybe at certain times of year, the environmental conditions are such that these things either are visible or we're visible to them or both. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Or is the, is the veil thinner due to certain conditions in certain locations or at certain times of year? Or I mean, I know October, November do seem to be very thin times. Mm. You know, when I, when I was out more late at night, you know, I've been trying to go to bed a little bit earlier because uh, it turns out it's bad for your health. <laughs> Is it? I know. Well, it's bad for my health at least. Um, but uh, 
I, so I'm not, I'm not out driving around as much as say like two, three in the morning, but you know, it was definitely at those times of night at that time of year, this time of year is when I would feel and experience the most, you know, there's, there's a certain time in the spring, but it just feels like this time of year is, is much more so. Mm. I, as I said, I, I, this, this happened before Halloween. So I, I've sent Eric a message and I've just said, Hey, let us know if, if anything else develops because, uh, that's, I don't know. It's just, it's uniquely, it's a uniquely fascinating experience that I think points to some troubling connections between these experiences and maybe a slightly shifting perception of reality. Mm. Thank you, Eric. Hey folks. So we record on Thursday afternoons and Eric got back to us later that night. And since the events he described in his initial email, there have actually been a couple other things. And since the email came in so close to, uh, to the time this goes up for our patrons, I thought I would record this little extra bit with those additional events. He says, there has been a little more activity over the last two weeks, which has frightened my wife a bit, though nothing as dramatic as that first, though she did still sleep on the couch one night. We both experienced these three, and all occurred late at night, usually around 11-ish when getting ready for bed. 1. About 12 days ago, I had gotten into bed and my wife was standing in the bathroom washing her face. The bedroom light was off, and I had my back to the bathroom because she had the light on there. I had just gotten into bed and had not fallen asleep. I was actually a little hyped up due to some stuff at work that was doubling my workload, when all of a sudden, something fell on the bed behind me. I thought maybe my wife had walked over and fallen with her hands outstretched and landed in the middle. Then I realized I could still hear the water, and I asked if she was okay. I realized she never left the bathroom. After she got into bed, we were each separated from the other, and I felt a freezing sensation along my back, almost like a spooning, but my wife said that the sheet was tucked in around me and she hadn't moved it. I eventually had to get up and change clothes, and when I returned to bed, it was fine. 2. Last week, my wife grabbed me around 1pm and took me to the bedroom. She announced this was my fault, as I was interested in these things, and told me she was sleeping on the couch. She then showed me a non-moving cold spot right in front of her dresser. It was noticeably colder in the two-foot circle. No drafts or vents. It wasn't even near the bathroom closet door, so I don't know what might have caused it. Maybe he meant 1am. Anyways. 3. Last thing, and I have a photo. Make of it what you will. This occurred November 6th, just after 11pm and was just odd. Everyone else was asleep and I was working in my office. I went to the kitchen for some water, and when I returned, I noticed a round, 10-inch spot of condensation on the window of our hall looking onto a patio. Never seen anything like it before. We have dual-pane windows, but this was inside the house. My boys went to bed at 9, so no one had just taken a shower or anything. And this is California, so the weather's never dramatic or very damp. I touched it, and it was wet, but it didn't leave much of a mark. I checked it again 10 minutes later. There was no change, but 20 minutes after that, it was gone. So Eric, thank you for following up with this man. And what I'm really interested in here is, you know, I, I wish I had an opportunity to get Paul in on this, but uh, as I said, I, I got this together quite late. But what really catches me here is the similarity between this and Kirk's story. I, it's even interesting that uh, Paul accidentally called Eric Kirk earlier in the segment because, you know, otherwise uh, there had been no connection to those stories. But in both cases, we have a completely unexplained wet patch in an area where strange things are going on. And I don't have an explanation for it, of course, and I, I don't really have any 
fully developed theories. But we've yet again got a situation where different stories have these interlocking parts, which is particularly unusual given that these are not from people known to each other. So as Eric mentioned, he has included a photograph. Uh, he's included a couple. If you check the show notes, I'm going to include a link to the one that includes less detail about his home. And draw your own conclusions. If anyone has any theories, let us know. Ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. And uh, if you think you can shed any light on this, we would love to hear from you. Our last story tonight is from our listener, Sarah. And this is a, a long story. We're going to tell it in multiple parts. And this is the one I referred to in the opening of the show. As I said, it's, it's quite lengthy. This is going to occupy the bulk of the runtime. But I think it needs to be told in full for its, uh, for its full impact. So this is, uh, this is Sarah's story. This story deals with something which made itself known to me at 17, and again when I was 25, and I rather hope to never encounter it again. The first part focuses on the things which happened when I was 17. To begin, when I was 12, my parents and I moved to Maine to be closer to family. It was at the orientation for new students that I met the person who would become one of my best friends throughout middle and high school. We were born exactly a month apart, down to the very day and time, and from the beginning shared a bond that was more like that of a sister than that of a friend. As we progressed through high school, our schedules diverged, but every now and then we'd find time to get together to hang out and catch up. For whatever reason, one of our catch-ups eventually brought us to the discussion of the supernatural and other weird things we encountered. We swapped some stories, some personal and others we'd heard, before we started talking about why such strange things happened. My 17-year-old self was fascinated, mostly because these were topics I had never really concerned myself with or even considered before. My friend, whom we'll call Sally, eventually introduced me to another friend of hers, Jordan. He was also interested in the supernatural, although he seemed much more well-versed in such subject matters than either of us. Every so often, the three of us would get together to philosophise about the meaning of life, why mysterious events occurred, ponder supernatural happenings, and wonder where we would take our futures. I'd like to note again something I said earlier, which is being cautiously curious about delving into such things, as I do feel there is a very real possibility that something will, in turn, notice you. The theme of threes also shows up here and there in these stories. As the three of us continued to get together to delve into supernatural mysteries, strange things eventually began to happen to all of us. In some cases, the same event would even happen to us separately. One of the first things I recall were things going missing. Sally had a silver ohm necklace with a beautiful amethyst attached to it, which she wore every day, never removing it. After falling asleep with it on one night, she woke up the next morning to discover it had vanished. She searched high and low, turning her bed and room upside down in the process, and checked all around her house. Nothing else had been disturbed or taken from the house. The locked doors and windows had remained untouched, and there were no signs of a break-in. Her parents also double-checked everything to be sure, but everything had been closed and shut tight. Eventually, she resigned herself to the fact that her necklace had mysteriously disappeared. A couple of weeks later, I was in my basement with my dog, a beautiful, sweet yellow lab. There are a few pipes which run overhead in our basement, and they can be rather loud when someone's running water in any of the rooms upstairs. 
I was just preparing to bring something upstairs when the pipes began to run from one of the upstairs bedrooms, which didn't particularly bother me, as I thought perhaps they were just draining or something. My dog and I headed back upstairs, and I had just finished closing the basement door when I heard footsteps overhead in one of the bedrooms. I should also point out that sounds travel pretty well in the house, and if you're standing on one side of it, you can clearly hear someone closing a door or calling you from the other side. I glanced outside the dining room window to the driveway and saw no cars. No one was home. I heard the footsteps walk slowly across the bedroom floor, like someone was trying to mask their sound. I then heard a low growl behind me and whirled around to see my dog, who was normally an absolute sweetheart to everything and everyone, even squirrels, staring straight up at the ceiling where we heard the footsteps, her hackles raised and her teeth bared. She had never reacted to anything like this, so it was a shock to see her this way. I turned back to stare at the ceiling and heard the footsteps leave the bedroom and walk quietly down the hall. I heard no doors opening or closing, which is important later, until they crossed the threshold to the room above the garage. By this time, my heart was pounding and I was trying to figure out what to do. Was someone in the house? My dog continued to growl and stare furiously up at the ceiling. I heard the footsteps stop, so I dialed 911 on my phone and held my thumb over the call button just in case, as I walked over to the side staircase which would lead right to the room above the garage. Looking back, I have no idea why I didn't grab something to defend myself with in case we did have an intruder, but at the time I only wanted to figure out what the hell was happening. I slowly went up the stairs, peeked behind the doorway into the room, and saw no one. The room was completely empty. I checked around the doorway and behind the furniture, mindful of keeping 911 just a phone call away. There was no one in the room. I checked to be sure the windows were locked as well, which they were. The only way whoever it was had left the room was unless they crossed the staircase in front of me, and I'd seen no one. There was also no one running off down the driveway, so as weird as it sounds, I concluded that the only way someone could have gotten out of that room without me seeing them exit was as if they had simply vanished into thin air. I decided to check the bedroom where I'd heard the steps come from originally and headed down the hallway to the room. But when I tried to open the door, I received a nasty surprise. The door was locked. That means that whoever or whatever had walked out of the room and down the hall, had been able to do so, going through a locked door. As I mentioned, I heard no doors opening or closing, and I would have absolutely heard it from where I was in the kitchen downstairs, as that room was directly above me. I checked the rest of the house as well, and found no one, nor any signs of how they could have left, as everything remained locked and in place. Of course, I shared the story with Sally and Jordan. We couldn't make heads or tails of it, and uneasily pushed it to the back of our minds. Fast forward a couple of weeks, Sally was sitting at home alone in her kitchen. She heard the front screen door open and assumed it was her father returning home from work, so she called out hello. She got no response, which was strange for her dad, and instead heard a whoosh go up the stairs. She was about to get up to go see what was going on when she heard slow steps in her bedroom upstairs. She froze and listened. She said she heard the sound of papers falling and things moving about 
and was gathering the courage to go face whoever was in her room when the noises stopped. Again, there was a whooshing sound back down the staircase, no footsteps, mind you, and she heard the front screen door slam open. She ran to look outside and saw no one. She got there mere seconds after the door had flown open, so she should have seen whatever had just flown out of her house, but there was nothing there. She went to go back inside and tried to close the screen door when it caught on something. Looking down, she saw, caught between the door and frame, her long-lost ohm necklace. Stranger still, upon going back up to her room, she discovered an absolute mess. All the papers that had been sitting on her desk were strewn about her bed and floor, and various items had been moved about or just shoved out of the way like someone was looking for something. As was the case at my house, the windows in her room were closed and locked securely, so it's not like a breeze came through and made the mess. These sorts of things continued to happen well into autumn and early winter, not just to Sally and myself, but to Jordan as well. Remember what I said about things in threes. Small things continued to go missing and would reappear days or even weeks later. Something started manifesting itself in different ways. Sally and Jordan were driving home on the highway one afternoon when their car was pushed, hard, into the emergency lane. Not that the steering wheel slipped or was yanked from my friend's hand, mind you, but that the car itself was pushed. Thankfully avoiding what could have been a severely dangerous, even deadly situation, the first logical explanation would be that another car had hit them by accident. But there was no evidence of impact from another vehicle. No indents, no leftover paint, nothing. What's more, they had felt no impact from a collision. I asked Jordan if it seemed like he had somehow just lost control of the vehicle, but they both adamantly said this was not the case. Once they'd gotten to a safer place to get out and check the car, they looked all over the vehicle, but there was no evidence they had been hit by anything. The explanation we tried to go with was that perhaps a strong gust of wind pushed them out of the lane, despite a grand total of zero trees swaying in any sort of breeze that day. But I think we only half-heartedly believe this because acknowledging something else didn't seem wise, or make much logical sense. Jordan had to get the car brought in for service anyhow, and inquired as to whether there was anything wrong with it, which may have caused it to do something like this, but the mechanic said it all seemed normal. Whatever we were dealing with seemed to like cars. After an evening out grabbing a coffee, I was driving Sally to her house when the snow started to fall. We were sitting and talking, parked in her driveway, watching the snowflakes drift down and settle on the windows of the car, whilst trying to figure out what had happened with our friend's car. We sat there talking for a good long while, and darkness had just begun to fall when I turned to adjust one of my mirrors. When I turned back, I froze. There, in the snow collected on the passenger side, it appeared as though someone had deliberately dragged three long fingers down through the snow on the window, beginning in the middle, going across it, and down out of sight. I pointed this out to Sally, who shrieked, and we proceeded to freak out as teenage girls are prone to do, particularly when faced with mysterious fingerprints. I asked again and again if perhaps she had done it by accident, but the fingers had clearly been dragged through the snow, which had gathered on the window outside, with no way for her to access it from inside of the car. Cautiously, my friend opened her passenger door to look down and said there were no footprints in the snow to indicate that someone had walked up to the window and put their hand there. A second later, she gasped. The fingers hadn't stopped at the window. They'd been dragged all the way down the side of my car, making three distinct lines in the snow until they reached the end of the car and dropped off. I checked the ground around my car as well, and there were no footprints, nor any other marks on the windows. 
We both got out to circle the car to see what the hell was going on. But that was it. Just the three finger marks dragged in the snow all the way down the length of the car. To be clear, the marks weren't thin enough to have been made by a swinging tree branch or something carried on the wind. And we would have heard something hit the window if it was. I had an extremely uneasy drive home after that. After a few days of this, I was just finishing up a late evening after chatting on AIM, remember those days, with Sally about these strange goings-on, when I closed my computer to get ready for bed and suddenly froze. I stood, staring at my desk and the wall in front of me, almost physically unable to turn around. I felt that something was in my bedroom with me. The hair on the back of my neck and arms stood on end, and I was overwhelmed with a horrible, cold fear, accompanied by the sense that I should not, under any circumstances, turn around and look in the back left corner of my bedroom. Even as I write this, I get chills thinking about it, even though it was over a decade ago. I have no idea how to explain it other than this. In my mind's eye, I sense rather than saw a sort of energy collected there in the corner, and I was certain beyond the shadow of a doubt that whatever had been causing the strange things to happen was crouched there, observing. Besides the frozen fear I was experiencing, I felt a deep hatred emanating from the corner as well. A hatred which had nothing whatsoever to do with my own emotions, but rather came from whatever crouched in the corner. That hatred felt as if it was focused on me, and although I tried twice to turn my head to glance over my shoulder and see what was behind me, both times the cold fear only got, if possible, worse. I've never felt such absolute unshakable fear, and I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Eventually, after what seemed like forever, but was probably only one or two minutes, the horrible feelings of something else's hatred and my fear gradually melted away, like they'd never been there to begin with, and I was able to move again. I turned to face the corner and sensed that whatever had been there was gone. It was after experiencing that that I started having dreams, always in sequences of three, in which I would usually feel like something was hunting me or was looking for me and my friends. Strangely enough, I didn't always feel afraid in these. It was more, again, that, that cautious curiosity of trying to figure out what was going on and perhaps who or what was at the center. Not all of them were dark, either. Sometimes the dreams were predictions of small, positive things which eventually actually happened in real life, like a friend finding something they'd lost or of a pop quiz coming up or other small events which happened out of the blue. But the dreams were always in threes, whether positive or dark, and a couple of them were ones which I seemed to share with Sally. Two in particular stand out. One took place in the second dream of the evening, in which I dreamt of a giant betta fish in the middle of a desert oasis. It changed color and pattern with every twist and turn it made in the water. It was beautiful, and I couldn't help but watch it for a little bit. For some reason, in my dream, I called it a time fish, and before I could look at it for much longer, the dream shifted to its third sequence. The next day, I started to tell Sally about the dream when a strange look came over her face. She said that she had had a very similar dream ages ago, back when she was a small child, and years before we had ever even met. I asked her to describe her dream, and she told me of a similar scenario as had taken place in my dream. Without any prompting from me, she said that she had called the fish in her dream her time fish. You best believe it took me a while to pick my jaw up off the floor upon hearing that. In another dream, 
I was at a beautiful lighthouse. It was the third in the sequence of three dreams that evening, I remember. It looked modern inside, kind of like a modern farmhouse interior design style, with exposed wooden beams in the ceilings and lovely bright decor. I remember walking through the lighthouse, taking it all in. Something that was there for some reason was a unicorn, like whoever lived there just had a random pet unicorn in their lighthouse. Please don't judge me, dreams are weird, and I don't know why my subconscious decided a unicorn would be just the thing to have in a lighthouse. I continued walking around when I felt like someone was following just behind me. Nothing negative, just that someone wanted to come along on the tour. As I got ready to leave, I looked into the living room and saw Jordan and an old woman with a long, neat grey braid of hair seated in front of a table, looking at what appeared to be tarot cards. The old woman looked up at me and smiled as I left, and then I woke up. The next day I started telling Sally about this dream, when the same strange look crossed her face. I said, what is it this time? And she went on to say that she had had the exact same dream as me last night, except that she was following me in hers. I asked her to describe the rest of the dream, and she described it perfectly, even with the random pet unicorn and the kind old woman in Jordan. Again, dreams are weird. The dreams, events and general feelings of unease continue to grow, culminating in three back-to-back -back dreams of the apocalypse and the entity becoming increasingly bolder, appearing as that same energy of absolute hatred in each of our houses, growing in intensity each time it did so. We didn't know if it was capable of doing anything more than instilling the fear of God in us and decided we didn't want to find out. Sally, Jordan and I finally sat down to discuss with each other what to do. It was a strange conversation. The three of us were just high school students, going to school, doing our homework, playing team sports as normal, and yet, in the background of our normal lives, there was this bizarre sequence of events playing out, with something particularly hellbent on manifesting itself. As I'd mentioned, Jordan was more familiar with the supernatural and he proposed that this was the very fact that we had gone searching for answers, gone into the darkness to see what we could find, that had led to this entity's attention to become focused upon us. So simply, we stopped talking about it, stopped with the intention, as you guys have mentioned before, of trying to find out more. Jordan led us in a sort of banishing spell, which he thought would help rid us of the energy and its focus upon us, and, aside from a small slip-up, in which Sally accidentally knocked over one of the candles being used, it seemed to have worked, at least for a few more years. Perhaps, despite the candle, it again goes back to our intention. We stopped talking about supernatural goings-on, and made extra efforts to continue leading our normal high school lives. We encountered nothing else that year or the next, and went our separate ways once we began college. I'll finish up this odyssey with one final thing, which happened soon after our strange entity disappeared. One evening, close to the end of the year, and just before the start of Christmas vacation, I was finishing up some homework on the computer and felt like something was watching me. I turned my head and looked out the window. My parents' home, where all of the things I'd encountered had happened, is nestled in a couple acres of beautiful woods. Yes, guys, beautiful, peaceful woods really do exist. Lies. So it's not uncommon that every now and then we see small forest critters scampering around the edge of the tree line. 
What was unusual that evening was the animal I saw staring back up at me through the window in softly falling snow. Sitting calmly, with its big black outline stark against the white snow and forest behind it, was the biggest wolf I've ever seen in my life. We had never, ever had wolves in our town, and since that one, I've never seen another. Pure black, with shining yellow eyes that I could see clearly, even from where I was working on the second story of the house. The strangest things we'd ever seen in our backyard up to that point were a couple of coyotes and a rare albino deer. But never had I seen anything like this wolf. And even though we lived in the woods, we were about a five-minute drive from the suburban area of town and had neighbors just through the trees on the other side of us. My parents lived nowhere near the mountains, so this one would have braved stretches of traffic and cars to get to our little section of forest. What struck me was the fact that I hadn't been moving at all while doing my work on the computer. I was just sitting and typing, practically immobile, save for my fingers on the keyboard, obviously not making enough movement to catch the eye of something from the woods below. And yet, this wolf was sitting and staring at me from the forest floor up into the second-story window, even though I'd been doing nothing which would give it cause to find me interesting to watch. I'm not exactly sure it was related to anything that happened that autumn, but if nothing else, it was a standout moment. It sat calmly in the falling snow, gazing up at me as I looked back at it, and then after a couple minutes got up, turned around, and gracefully sauntered back into the woods. Intriguing. Yes. Sarah, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Uh, again, hopefully you're still listening to the show. I don't know whether or not you are, but I hope you are. And, you know, I think there's a lot to be said. The first thing I wanted to say was I think there's a lot to be said for intention. You know, Sarah said that, you know, that, that her friend did the banishing ritual, but I really do think it was more the fact that they just stopped looking that ultimately ended this thing. Because I, I, think, I think it's important to remember we do have a lot of control over this stuff. I mean, like anything, right? I mean, sometimes things just happen as we, as in Eric's message, you know, there's nothing they did to invite that. Mm. But, you know, if you are continuing to stare these things down and to push further and further, you're going to see things and things are going to see you. And I think that, you know, the, the, the banishment ritual that he did, I think if anything, I think just was a way for them to come together and, and show each other that, yeah, we're done with this thing more than anything. What are your thoughts? It is interesting because, you know, there's no indication that they kind of went the normal cliched routes of Ouija boards or tarot readings or sitting in the middle of a pentagram chanting. <laughs> right. Asking for things to show themselves. Um, it all seems rather pleasant and, and, you know, as far as I'm concerned, a fairly normal series of conversations about <laughs> about the supernatural and the world around us. So I find it peculiar that whatever they did and however they did it seemed to raise a flag for something to be attracted towards them. But I'm also very interested in the final section in regards to the wolf appearing because... I thought you might be, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I see that as more of a guardian than a, a connection to the entity because oh interesting clearly as sarah says she was simply tapping away she hadn't noticed anything and these events had all happened over the pre previous 12 to 18 months in right. that location and, and and the surrounding areas so for all she knows that whatever it was because as as she explains clearly couldn't have been a wolf right um, 
for all she knows, that could have been sitting outside there all along, just keeping their eye on things, making sure yep. she was all right. And I think that perhaps it realised that whatever had appeared had returned whence it came from and right. realised that perhaps its its guidance or its protection was no longer required. Interesting. Yeah. Something that struck me about both what you described there and, and, and the initial message was you, you say that they didn't do anything so cliche as, you know, tarot or whatever it was. Like they, they weren't specifically like doing a Ouija board trying to contact Satan or whatever. And I think, like I said, I think, I think something can happen when you first make friends and when you, or when you first kind of come together as a group of friends. And I think that can be a very powerful thing. Uh-huh. And I think that there can be this intensity of connection yeah. that overrides even the boundaries of things we can't see. Mm. You know, my, my best friend, when we started getting to know each other, I, and I've, I've told this story on the show before, um, actually a, a bunch of us in a group, it was, there were four of us, we shared dreams briefly. You know, I, I had a dream about seeing her in a bus station. Mm. waiting for waiting in line for a bus and when i spoke to her the next day we were she said oh man i had these weird dreams she said one of them i was i was waiting in line for a greyhound and i mean sure it could be a coincidence but it's a hell of a coincidence <laughs> and in another one um two friends both separately same night had a dream that they were in a uh convertible together somewhere out on the highway and i think there can be this this intensity of, of initial friendship. And I think eventually, you know, I think life kind of blunts that. And I think, you know, either that initial energy kind of after it flares up, it, it sort of dies down or, or, you know, levels off. But I think it, when you combine that with being young and curious and you're, you're curious about the paranormal, especially, I think it's, it's just like a, a massive, like a flare in the night, Hmm. you know, because I mean, I know myself when I, because I, I didn't give a shit about the paranormal really until I started writing strange. And all of a sudden my, my, cause I'm a pretty intense guy when I get into something and my, all my intensity was channeled into interviewing people and reading and discovering the paranormal and motherfucker, I saw shit, you know, as I've, as I've said. And since then, you know, I'm not as gung ho. I'm still fascinated by the topic, but I don't spend all my, the, the time that I did researching it and interviewing people. Cause I'm not, I mean, ostensibly I'm working on books, but that's, let's not talk about that. Um, but you know, consequently I do experience things, but much, much less. And I think there's something to that, that initial burst. I think, yeah, like, like this guy I met in New Orleans, he, he called it the principalities. And he said, when you are out, when you venture out into the principalities, he said, you're like a, you burn like a, like a fire in the night. And he said, things see you too. Yeah. Well, I'm in trouble then. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or am I? Well, yeah, no, I figure of all of us, you're safe. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the only person who can kill Paul Bastel is Paul Bastel. Yeah, well, I have tried in the past. <laughs> there you go. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe nothing can stop you. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there is always that aspect of energy attracting things. And, and, and like you say, um, I mean, I've, I mean, I'm immersed in it constantly. So I don't know. It's it's a very interesting concept that, as you say, often be careful what you wish for or, you know, be careful of what you look for because sometimes what looks back might not be what you want. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that's I'm not, it. I'm not sure. Um, 
I mean, it's it's one of those things, you know, throughout life, people are often touched or, or anointed as, as being connected, whether you're born with the call, as they call it, you know, the old membrane that certain children are, are born with and were often classed as special. And obviously that was supposed to have magical properties that would, you know, see those sold to sailors for hundreds of pounds, because apparently if you had one of those, you would never drown. Really? Mm. Um, and things like that. And those people were often considered, you know, witches and warlocks and, and, and the like, or, or people that had supernatural premonitions or an ability to, to see the other side. So, and obviously having the middle name of Damien and supposedly being dead when I was born, and maybe I'm one of those people as well, but, you know, I don't see a lot. I just tend to immerse myself in it. I find the subject deeply fascinating primarily as well when we have people like Sarah who seem to seem to encounter something that takes a shine to them for whatever reason. Yeah. I mean, that takes us a, a kind of back around to what we were talking about at the top of the show, which is that, you know, because you are immersed in it constantly. I mean, we, we both are to, to, to certain degrees, but obviously you having two shows on the subject, you are, you are more, much more so than I am. But I wonder if it goes back to, we each have a different kind of sensitivity, mm. you know? And, and so like your, your awareness is honed, but odds are you're, you know, because you're not predisposed to seeing things, maybe you just don't, mm. but your, your sense of awareness is very sharply honed. Mm. Well, maybe, I suppose we all have different talents and different aspects of our personalities that shine brighter than others. And, and maybe it's that because, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> I, I don't tend to just do shows, you know, I read about it, watch it. Um, of course. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I'm currently not doing is actively chasing them outside yet. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say yet. Yeah. That, that, that will be changing in the new year, no doubt. Um, along with a couple of other new things I'm planning on trying. <laughs> oh, so but, now you got to tell me off air cause I got to know. Yeah. Okay. I will. But, uh, uh, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But so I don't know. Um, but I, I, I find it's, it, it's quite a, an intriguing story. And the thing that intrigues me is this connection with the number of, you know, three, what is it about three, you know, the three marks down the car in the snow and things. I mean, that would just freak me out anyway, regardless. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that reminds me of the story we did uh, last year on haunted prisons and one of our <laughs> guests, there was, I uh, sorry, one of our listeners, uh, he was a guard at a prison and there was, I think a handprint on his window, despite the fact that the car, the, the van was running way out in the bush and there was no one around. Hmm. There might, it might even have been three fingerprints. I can't remember now, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's all, all the way bad. Like something out of a Dennis Wheatley novel. Which is a terrifying thought because there's no Christopher Lee to save us anymore, Paul. Well, unless he comes back. Or Paul Bestel. <laughs> I will be the new Duke. Now I feel safe. Okay. That's good to hear. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much for sharing with us. Um, again, I, I, that provoked so many wonderful questions. I love stories like that. And if you have a story to share, send it to us at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We'd love to read it, possibly get it on the show if we can. And uh, as always, if you've connected with something in this episode, if something twigs in your interest and you think, holy shit, that happened to me too. Again, we want to hear it let us know. You can either send it via email or the ghost line, which we'll talk about after a quick break.
you there, listeners. Before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button, I promise you this isn't an ad. We wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health. On this show, I've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety, because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do, there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help. And when you start to feel like there's no help, it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help. We're not going to try and talk you out of self-harming right now, because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it and make a phone call or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be, it's never too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is 133-456-4566. In the USA, the number to call is 1-800-273-8255. In the UK, the number to call is 116-123 or text SHOUT, that's S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114. However bad shit seems, it will pass. And no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing, please know that we've both been where you are and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. Thanks, as always, to Luke, Sarah, and Anthony, and everyone else who's part of the Ghost Story Guys family. Don't forget to check out Luke's podcast, Luke Lore, available on podcast platforms everywhere. And thank you, of course, my friend and co-host, the great Paul Bestel, the paranormal Johnny Carson, host of the Mysteries and Monsters podcast. What's coming up on Eminem, Paul? Ooh, I've got the return of Chad Lewis, talking about some wonderfully weird lumberjack legends. From his right. latest book, some uh, some of my favourite made up creatures because none of these are really real, um, <laughs> but um, includes my favourite, which is called the Hide Behind. Okay, are you aware of the Hide Behind? I'm not. Well, you see, that's because it hides behind. So no matter which way you turn, it will always be behind you, and that's why it's called the Hide Behind. It's sort um, of like a quantum villain or something is it? yes a little bit so it's full of all these stories that the lumberjacks used to tell when they went out into the into the woods of uh, the northern u.s and and canada oh, okay and, and the tall tales they would tell each other about these terrifying creatures that would be lurking around every redwood ready to take them off to the forest and devour them so there's some interesting and amusing stories um i've got a couple of alien abduction guests coming up a um, couple of One's rather disturbing um, and very interesting and someone I've wanted to have on for quite a while that I met a few years ago as well. So that's going to be interesting and uh, hopefully we'll have a few winter-themed episodes as well as a, a couple of returning favourite guests as well. Fantastic. And where can everyone find you online? You can find Mysteries and Monsters wherever you will find good and sometimes bad podcasts living across the internet and uh, also you will find mysteries and monsters across all social media platforms facebook or meta or wherever it's called now 
Twitter, Instagram, and uh, channel on YouTube. All right. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as Largely the Truth, and you can find my podcast, Largely the Truth with Brennan Store, everywhere fine podcasts live. That is a non-paranormal interview show, and uh, most recently I spoke to author Fonda Lee, and she is the author of the epic adult fantasy trilogy that's uh, adult like uh, grown up, not like the careless whisper saxophone solo, but uh, the the Green Bone Saga, and that is a is, like I said, epic fantasy trilogy of uh, martial arts and magic and the final installment jade legacy is coming out at the end of this month so fonda joins me to talk world building and all kinds of cool shit um the world she's constructed is massive you know and i I, like i was saying to you i i read both her i read the first two installments in about 10 days which is Mm. a lot for me uh that's 1200 pages worth of reading and so i just blew through it because it, well, one, I had to, and two, I was really, really interested in the world she's created. And uh, apparently that's just been optioned by Peacock. So they're going to be making a, a streaming series out of it. And it's, it's the perfect material for streaming. Cause it's, it's kind of like a martial arts saga set in sort of a seventies or eighties, um, world, but, uh, like a, a, a 70, basically a seventies or eighties, but in an alternate world where everything is, is different countries are different things like this, mm. but it's, uh, it's, it's really fascinating stuff. And again, you can get that at, uh, well, you can find more at largelythetruth.com or again, everywhere fine podcasts live. As we said at the top, if you want to support the show, listening is very, very important, obviously. We deeply appreciate your listening. But if you want to support the show financially, you can do so at patreon.com slash guys, And that gets you access to all kinds of cool stuff. Like I said, there's an ad-free feed. I do weekly episodes of Book of the Dead, which are three paranormal stories. Those are little quick bites, something you can listen to while you're doing the dishes or whatever. There's host adventures, which is me yakking on about all the bullshit going on in my life. There's me and Paul, which is, as it describes, me and Paul talking about whatever's going on. As I said, last time was uh, 30 minutes or pardon me, about 25 minutes talking about the smiley face drownings and the Manchester pusher. We're doing a Q&A this month. We'll be recording that next week. So if you, uh, you still got time to get in and uh, get in and add your question to the post. And there's the Sunken Library, which usually comes out monthly, and and so much more. There's physical rewards, uh, all kinds of cool stuff at patreon.com slash ghost story, guys. And I really, I briefly, I wanted to touch on something. We've had some folks uh, tell us that the episodes, there's too much talking. And uh, <laughs> Paul, Paul and I were saying, this is not going to change, you know, in terms of you know, us talking to each other. But I do understand that some people want to get straight to the stories. So you'll have heard at the beginning of this show, me popping in in the A segment to to tell you where the stories start. And that's what I'm going to try and do for the time being. But we are working on a a technical solution that would allow for chapters. So like a visual indicator on your podcast app of where the stories start and where each story starts. But we're, it's a, it's a work in progress because our hosting platform doesn't currently support that. So we're, we're, we're kind of puzzling that out, but, uh, know that we do hear you and we are aware of this and we respect that you just want to hear ghost stories and we want to keep yakking. So we're going to find a way to get you to the stories as quickly as possible, if that's what you want. And if you want to get in touch to tell us we're talking too much, you can, just... <laughs> <laughs> you can just go to hell. That's right. You can do that by emailing us at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We love hearing from you guys. We read everything you send. And I am, tr- I am trying to be more diligent about writing people back. Um, again, I love hearing from you guys. It's not that 
it's not that I'm too busy or anything like that, because this is what I do. Uh, it's just that I'm shit at keeping up with correspondence. It's just one of those, one of those things. But, uh, but really, no, we'd love hearing from you guys. Ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is a way to do it. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter as Ghost Story Guys. We have a subreddit, r slash Podcast. That's administrated by Sarah, so make sure to go over there and say hi to her. She also handles the Twitter. And we're on Instagram as the Ghost Story Guys. And of course, if you don't feel like typing, you can always call the ghost line. There's something strange in your neighborhood. We're gonna call Ghost Line. Call one triple eight five eight eight six nine two oh. Thanks as always to our listener Amber Pease for her ghost line jingle. Again, the number is one 888 You can leave your comment, question, or story for the show as one or a series of voicemails. Or, if you don't feel like talking, you can always text 925-553-4789. And, and you had a couple spots. You did uh, Over the Rainbow with Bob Brown. Yep. And you did a second one. Has that been released yet? Yeah, that one, I think, has just come out this week. And that was on a irish-based podcast called dynamo's dozen okay. um which was a good chat and uh had a great time with with the host ian kelly who was right. picking my brains about bigfoot and backing me into questionable corners about certain aspects of the whole topic um but yeah it was it was good fun uh we had a great laugh and he was he was gracious enough to want me to come back at some point in the future and so i think that's just come out on youtube this week Oh, perfect. Okay. Well, we'll make sure to link that in the show notes and you'll see that on our Facebook page. And, uh, actually if you go to the website, ghoststoryguys.com, I link to every appearance that Paul and I do. So you'll be able to listen to those on the website. There's usually an embedded player there. And, uh, for me, the only thing new or exciting is I was on an episode of Mission Spooky, as I've mentioned, that was about mining ghosts in Pennsylvania and that dropped just before Halloween. So you'll be able to find that again at ghoststoryguys.com or, you know, wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter of Pizzanta Music. You can find more from him at nightharvestrecordings.com or by searching for Pizzanta Music wherever you get your tunes. Our story's theme is The Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. Find more from them by searching for Hexagram wherever you get your music. Again, that's Hexagram with two X's, not three. Finally, all other music and sound effects come courtesy of Epidemic Sound. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, but until then, Into the Darkness We Go. So I've just tried to move an icon with the TV remote. <laughs> I mean... Didn't work. How does that happen? <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Well, folks, that was a spectacular edit. <laughs> the last story... This is our last... Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> that threw me there. I was going to say, Garden Ben, is it 1999? It's, it's that one, right? Well... That's a bone of contention, yes. But it's it's not pronounced how uh, 
Donald Pleasance pronounces it in Halloween. That's all I'll say. Samhain! <laughs> yeah, Salon. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that. As we said at the top of the show, if you want to support the... Jesus. As we said at the top... <laughs> fuck me. I'm just, I should have something written down for this. Now I guess that's going to do it. Yeah, well, I hope so, because I've just stretched out and I've just... My legs just exploded in a series of pops and cracks. That remind, sounds... Remind me how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you remember the days when you would wake up and your body wouldn't scream out in pain? No, no, I do not. No, I don't either. It's a long time ago. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.